0: Hello there, and welcome to AIPT Comics Podcast. We're on episode 54. My name is David Brooke. Who's there with me? Are you out there?
1: (laughs) My name is Forrest with two R's, and I am out here. Hey, Forrest, how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm very excited about our favorite comics of the year.
0: Yeah, so we're easing into 2020 with a semi-regular show. We're going to go over some news And we're going to have Lonnie Nadler on uh, with a full 30-minute interview talking about Black Stars Above and Yandu and some other work that he's working on in the upcoming year. Uh, If you haven't guessed by now, this is the AIPT Comics podcast where we talk about comic books. We review comic books. We don't review comic books today. We talk about the latest news, though, that you should have your finger on if the news was the pulse. Did you get what I got there? Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. We're going to start with the news, though, and then we're going to get to Lonnie. <laughs> so hold on, because Lonnie is only like 10 minutes away. In our um, first bit of news, exclusively featured at AIPTcomics.com, we found out that Wraith is coming back. Wraith? You say? Who is Wraith? Well, he's just a space gunslinger, guys. <laughs> so out in uh, April, Web of Venom Wraith is coming out, uh, written by Donny Cates, with an artist to be determined but the cover art by kyle Hatz is pretty dope yeah it's awesome, and it features a new villain that i think we talked about quite a bit last week in our year in review
1: null no. yes or as some folks pronounce it Kanol.
0: wraith is kind of i mean there's actually four iterations of wraith in marvel comics i don't know
1: anything about this character
0: i saw a lot of people on our twitter going yes finally and i'm like no there is no <laughs> Wraith fandom. it's like the people
1: <laughs> excited about an eternals movie yeah yeah right. all right yeah there are
0: dozens of us. So Wraith was in Guardians of the Galaxy. He was part of the Black Guardians. Oh, Donny Cates' Guardians of the Galaxy. Exactly. Wow,
1: did not make it. I read every issue of that comic. <laughs>
0: yeah, he's kind of a lot of this. Actually, I was trying in the article, if you go to aptcomics.com and read the exclusive um, news, I tried to pull art from the previous issues to put in there so you could go, oh, that's Wraith. But it was mm. very hard because a lot of time he was like behind people. He has a couple lines. He's very, um, he doesn't speak very much. Mm, I think quiet, that's kind of his strong personality. Strong but
1: silent. Yes. Yes. My only take on this is, well, one, is that I love Donny Cates. Um, I love the stuff he's doing. Two, no one is better at finding the types of characters they should be writing than Donnie Cates. Yes. Like the fact that this character already existed and Donny Cates is writing him is like, yeah, all right. It's kismet. Yeah. I would say Wraith is Goth. Would you say
0: Wraith is Goth? Wraith is Goth, Daddy. One my big take is Web of Venom continues. Um last year there was a, like four or five Web of Venom one-shots. Mm. One featured uh the dog that got the symbiote, right? And then there was the there was a couple Carnage ones that helped kind of inform the Absolute Carnage uh, event. Some good, some bad. It's it's kind of cool to see it carrying forward and still being treated as a one-shot storytelling mechanism.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I, I really like how Donnie, and we spoke about this in regards to the big retcon that took place in the Venom comics last year, um, but I really like how he is making Venom and the symbiotes and even the threat that Noel poses, this kind of far-reaching, integral part of the Marvel universe.
0: Right. And he's building
1: towards it. He's not just dropping it on us like some yeah. other villains yeah. have been done. Yeah. And he's doing so, uh, I already mentioned, but with the right vehicles. Like sure. I'm like I'm like, yeah, all right, Wraith. I don't know that guy, Mm. but it fits. Yeah, for sure.
0: Who's that uh, cartoon clown character in Marvel? (laughs) What's his name? Mm. Slapstick. I want to see Donny Cates take Slapstick, throw him in a Web of of Venom uh, book in the summer, blow us all away. Because it just seems like a Donny Cates character, doesn't it? Yeah.
1: There are quite a few out there. I'm sure he'll get around to all of them. This is where listeners realize Dave doesn't
0: know what he's talking about. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) In our next bit of news, IDW and the Smithsonian are launching a joint publication program to launch basically a new line of graphic novels, which is crazy. Out of left field. Didn't see this coming. And the line is aimed at lifelong learners worldwide. So... I guess these are going to be educational graphic novels
1: yeah there's three different product lines or product names the first is a middle grade graphic novel series called time trials which finds inspiration in the national museum of american history video series i don't see information about the other two lines as of yet but it seems like they are taking things or you know smithsonian exhibits tend to tour a lot yeah um or they have various things that they put in um to show and then out of show out of public access and stuff like that and it seems like they're taking iew is taking inspiration based off of the Smithsonian's already catered collection of products mm-hmm Product products feels like the wrong words for a museum, but you know what I mean. Curators, creators, et yeah. I mean, museumology is its own field in academia, right? So mm-hmm. it makes sense. It's a natural fit. And young adult comic books or graphic novels are selling like hotcakes. so yeah. Why not? Yeah. And we've seen
0: sciencey or informational graphic novels before from Fantagraphics and some other publishers over the years, and they're like a great way to connect with kids and adults. I think because I mean, I yeah. don't know everything. Absolutely. <laughs> um give me that dolphin graphic novel give it to me
1: <laughs> you know i have very fond memories of reading did you know the blowhole was
0: on the top i didn't know that until i read a graphic novel well yeah true fact <laughs> every time we do a show there should be one lie we both say and then someone should comment and say uh, i know which one was a lie
1: well then we can't do a bit where one of us only tells lies and one of us only tells the truth
0: that's true did we talk about that in a previous episode
1: i don't know but i very much want to be a gargoyle a riddle gargoyle like in the cartoon uh, in The Hobbit. There's gargoyles in- uh, There's garg- there's riddle gargoyles in uh, Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. Hey, do you
0: know Universal Studios is going to have a Lord of the Rings park? Yes. That's the rumor.
1: I, I've heard as well. And since Amazon's putting all their money into Lord of the Rings in the coming years, that makes sense. It does. It does.
0: So Smithsonian, IDW, makes sense. IDW kind of yeah. running out of money last year.
1: Yeah. Maybe this is a way to a weird get those coffers f- up. They have a weird corporate structure thing going on, and I'm kind of curious to see how long this sticks around. I also think of all the publishers to take a swing at making comics quote-unquote legitimate, mm-hmm. uh, I would not expect IDW to be the one to partner up with a museum and do that.
0: Yeah, that kind of was a surprise to me too.
1: Yeah, yeah. I I could very much see it being like an image thing. but Yeah, for um, sure.
0: Although they're almost too big for that maybe.
1: I, I think Image is at the right level. I would be very, very surprised if Marvel or DC did this, since they can just release collections of their own stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. IDW does have, like, the Spider-Man for
0: kids. That's true. Uh, Avengers, yeah. et cetera. It seems so to be it's... that they're leaning that way. Soon they'll just be four kids. They'll be the yeah. DC Zoom of IDW.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, partnering with the Smithsonian is a good way to get comics. There are still households. All around America where parents don't want their kids to read comics Mm. because they're not legitimate or because they're scary or because they're, you know, tied to those horrible movies or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. And having the airs that the Smithsonian provides to those comics, I'm sure is going to help at least get the foot in one household store. And that's neat. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I have nothing bad to say about museums or art. I'm being sincere. I just kind of like, I don't know. And nothing this because it's IDW, but also I'm are like, there people right, cool, out there yeah. that
0: are, that have bad things to say about museums. Absolutely. Oh, people who don't like knowledge, right? Yeah. <laughs> Which we know is a thing in America. <laughs> Uh, in our next bit of news, GLAAD Media Awards are announced 10 Outstanding Comic Books of 2019. The mm-hmm. nominees are in. The GLAAD Awards are aimed to recognize and honor media for their fair, accurate, and inclusive representations of the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer community and the issues that affect their lives. Forrest, would you like to read off the nominees?
1: Absolutely. The nominees for GLAD's Outstanding Comic Book this year are The Avant Guards from Boom Studios. Bloom from first second, Crowded from Image Comics, Harley Quinn breaking glass from DC comics. Laura Dean were on the show a few weeks ago. Yeah. Sorry. Months (laughs) ago at this point. Yeah. Laura Dean keeps breaking up with me from first second. Mm. Uh, Libetrasse from Comixology Originals. I think that's mm-hmm. the first Comixology Originals book I've seen nominated all throughout this awards season. Uh, mm. Lumberjanes from Boom Studios, Runaways from Marvel, Star Wars Dr. Afra from Marvel, and The Wicked and Divine from Image.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, Merico is up for two. Yes. Uh, oh, Merico is...
1: It's weird to be like, Merico is my LGBTQ writer of the year or whatever, mm. but you know the stories that they told this year impacted me as a queer person um, very intimately. And I, Laura Dean Keeps Breaking Up With Me is my graphic original graphic novel of 2019. So I find its nomination totally warranted.
0: Do you have any... Uh, so I guess uh, you already said Laura Dean is your yeah, pick. Yeah, I would these. absolutely
1: go for mm-hmm. Laura Dean Keeps Breaking Up With Me. It's such an interesting, intimate story that we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, I think Runaways would be my pick. Yeah, I was going to say Runaways this is also award. fantastic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 Um, the Glad Awards or Glad choices for awards and nominations and stuff are always weird because they're also honoring Taylor Swift next month or something. Oh really? I, think I just oh. read that recently, and it's like she's definitely just oh because of, she did biting off of the queer community and the fact that Glad is recognizing that is gross and weird. But on the flip side of that, I'm glad to see this kind of dedicated support for comics and the fact that a lot of these comics are indie.
0: Yes, that's true which which is why I'm surprised like Marvel and DC are even on that list cuz indies tend to take more yeah chances they shouldn't be but chances because of the giant corporate mechanisms very true um, the very G- true glad awards I think are on March 19th if I'm not mistaken hmm. so check those out we have one more piece of news and it's almost not a 2020 news because it's really a 2019 news but we didn't know about it in 2019 so we're talking about it in 2020 it's comic sales yes that's right Orders were up 2% in 2019, approaching 500 smackaroos. That's dollars in kangaroo mm-hmm. talk. Yep. <laughs> uh, $488.58 million. I need to get into the comic book industry and be the only one.
1: <laughs> Sorry, that was a bit of a snide joke because there are quite a few publishers. Our podcast's entire plotline is about how the comics industry is big and untamable and mm. impossible to penetrate. And... Rife with issues at the creator, editor, and publisher-ish levels. Mm -hmm. But I believe Mm -hmm. you're the man for the job.
0: Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, Really quick, Detective Comics sold 574,000
1: units. And the number two book for units after that is Spawn number 300 with 272,000 and almost 300,000 unit drop-off. But it's actually worth
0: noting, uh, Detective was ten dollars, Spawn was eight dollars each issue. Mm-hmm. That's you basically. You should just double the numbers for Spawn because usually comics are four dollars each, and then Detective triple it. So that's a that's a one point
1: five million units sold in Dave math. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other ones we have here in the top ten are Black Cat. X-Men, Deceased, Absolute Carnage, Marvel Comics 1000, House of X, Powers of Ten, and War of the Realms. I just,
0: you know, it's amazing that Marvel Comics reached 1000 issues. It took them a long time. <laughs> I believe it took
1: one month, one release day to get I there. But they cost, I can't believe it cost, I can't believe it cost
0: $1,000. Uh, yeah, each issue. It's crazy. That's, and they <laughs> sold 20, 22,000 22, of
1: them. Uh, by the way, we're getting all this information from Comicron. Um, it's yes, a resource for we, comic research. We um, usually do, and I highly recommend them as well as ICV 2
0: For sure. Do you uh, anticipate more than four hundred and eighty-eight point five eight million dollars in two thousand twenty? And should we make a bet right now? Um, I uh, do. Whether it's I, up or down,
1: I do anticipate that it's going to be slightly up. I don't think they're going to make twenty additional thousand dollars and hit that five hundred million. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised by like 490 million, maybe. I'm going to go 479. You're expecting down. Because there's going to be less of those big, like, oh, 1,000 issues kind of thing. And and less of, you know, the end games to bolster the industry and stuff. I totally get that. Um, But I think the industry is in a really good place right now. We are kind of, despite some writers at certain sites, sardonic biting articles um we are in a golden age of comics
0: i mean just pick up any book and it's probably at least serviceable
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah if not good
0: yeah (laughs) although if you read my reviews you think i mean i think everything's good apparently God, what a sellout Dave Brooke is anyway moving on uh, in our next segment we'll be interviewing Lonnie Nadler about Black Stars Above uh, Yondu and other things in his career as well as uh, his writing style and other things like that so hang in it's going to be a fun one we had fun doing it right Forrest? I had fun and if you hold on after that we will be back to talk about our best of the year and on with us is Lonnie Nadler thank you so much for being on the show uh, Lonnie thanks for having me so everybody's talking about Black Stars Above right now. It's like the book that's kind of transcending time and space for a lot of people in, <laughs> in a couple of good ways and in a couple of scary ways. It's an exceptional piece of cosmic horror fiction. It's set in 1887 and it's mostly in the wilderness. And that got me thinking, is there a reason you
2: needed to tell this story now? That's a, oh man, that's a hard one to start with off the bat. I'm not, not used to, usually people like ease me into it, but you're just like, you're gunning for it. Uh, Well, I I think it's, for me, the the story takes place in 1887, so it's sort of right before the turn of the century, Mm -hmm. and uh, turn of the century stories have always been uh, deeply fascinating to me. Specifically, um, I've been researching a lot of stuff for my next book, which is uh, sort of neo-gothic story um and in the same vein it's a lot of this the books that are my favorites of the genre take place at the turn of the century Mm -hmm. and uh we're existing obviously the turn of the century for us happened like 20 years ago now which is kind of scary but um it's always something that's been in my mind when when writing that like we're existing at a period of, of transition as well um and black stars above is is about Transition in a lot of ways. It's it's about transition between two places, transition from adolescence into adulthood, uh, and transitions between cultures, and transitions from uh, a nation that was once under a monarchy into a to a sovereignty. Um, and so, I, I think a lot of the themes that it's dealing with. Uh a lot of things that people dealt with back then are things we're still struggling with just in different ways. Um, and so that's largely why I wanted to set it uh, during that time period. I, th- I think there's a lot of, of resonance, um, even na- now that we're 100 years, over 100 years later.
0: Considering we're all on our phones almost constantly and Twitter is, you know, bec- beg- begging us to, to tweet constantly. I, then I, I sit down and I read your book and it's like, this is so different from reality today. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah and that's another part of it is like what are the differences in how we exist now and what are the similarities and you know this idea of of wanting to to leave home is something that i think has been part of culture for uh for a long long time and i, I hope that despite all the differences from from the time period uh that it still resonates emotionally and thematically
1: speaking of differences you're also releasing Yandu over at marvel with zach thompson right now Mm -hmm. um can you tell us a little bit about the difference in your approach between a book like black stars above and yondu or (laughs) x-men do you do different research do you put on different music
2: it's like it's like not even the same sport it's like it's so (laughs) fucking different yeah they're completely different uh i was Think I I say this often, but I was Matt Rosenberg sort of put it best, and he said, "Creator-owned books are always going to be a marathon. Anything you do at Marvel is a sprint, and it, it does feel like that in a lot of ways. Uh, both because you're working quicker with with Marvel books, but also just the way the storytelling functions there, it's like uh, it's just so different. Like Black Stars Above, obviously, is, is very like meditative and slow, mm. and that's very deliberate. But at Marvel, like nobody picking up marvel books wants to read that and mm-hmm. that's sort of something i had to come to terms with early on was like the way that i write creator own stuff isn't the way you can write stuff at marvel and that's not to say you can't be creative it's just it's, it's a different th- thing and people buy you you're writing for an audience at marvel you're not mm-hmm. writing for yourself that's interesting so, so, yeah. and so, with Yondu specifically, like you know, Zach and I had done a, a bunch of stuff at the X-Men office and we were just coming out of um, the age of X-Men uh, event, which was like a huge project for us, and it was very heady. and we were dealing with like a lot of heavy topics. And so we wanted to do something that was like lighter and full of jokes and just challenge ourselves because we hadn't really written comedy before we had done crime stuff but but quite differently than than this uh, so it was really just trying to do something new and there wasn't much research to do for yondu because yondu doesn't really exist in the comics very <laughs> yeah. much right, um,
0: right.
2: old yondu you know we read a lot of uh the book initially came out of us trying to pit a relaunch of the old jim valentino guardians of the galaxy so we did like a bunch of research reading that stuff um to like get his voice down um and then it was mostly like what do we want this to feel like so uh just sort of watching rewatching movies and TV shows that we we liked but the research was like not nearly as extensive as it would be for creator own stuff
0: I was rereading some of your work today to prepare for this interview and you know you read black stars above and it's like deep and dark and you feel like lo- scared and like lonely almost and then I picked up yandu number 4 and there's a line where a character says sir our view is blocked by old pizza boxes <laughs> Then we shall die as we lived without morals and entombed by pizza. <laughs> and I was, I literally did like a double, I had to read it like three times. And I'm like, this is the same people. I love that line. Mother. I just, I had to call it out. It's so good. It's in Yondo number Thank four. Go pick up that issue right now.
2: Yeah. Like I said, it was just trying to challenge us. And I think like, to be completely honest, I, I think Black Stars Above feels more like me and more like the kind of stories that, that I want to, uh, Define me when people think of my work, but I'm I'm also very proud of of Yondu and just what we are able to accomplish. And like working with John McRae has been a dream. Yeah, they're both just so different. Like it's hard to to talk about them. It's like discussing your favorite movies versus your favorite books. Like they're hard to compare.
0: Right?
1: Do you find one easier to draft than the other? And like you mentioned for Yondu, you're kind of. Zach and you were trying to emulate a specific voice or a specific time, whereas Black Stars Above is much more personal? Is one yeah. easier, more natural?
2: Oh, the Marvel stuff is way easier. <laughs> just, I mean, it's easier in terms of, like, getting the script out. Like, Zach and I will script an issue of Yondu in, like, a week. Black Stars Above script has me, like, a month. So just in terms of time, uh, mm. there's a big difference. But it's also, like you know, you sort of have to, with Marvel stuff, because it works so fast, you kind of have to be, you have to think on your feet a lot and um, just trust your instincts like crazy. And uh, and then you have to deal with the people who think you suck, which is like <laughs> a lot of people. And they're like, they're, Marvel fans aren't afraid to tell you when they think yeah. your work mm. sucks. So it's like, it's more difficult in that sense of like, sort of dealing with that side of things. But
0: Right, um, again, the audience is different, right?
2: Yeah, completely. Yeah. And it's like, you know, the idea of someone who's like, a Yondu fan reading Block Stars Above is like they would uh, they would hate it. They right. it's like it's not the same the people who read Marvel stuff like that's what they read aren't necessarily gonna be into the creator own stuff that I do. But, you know, I don't know. Just what it is.
0: When you read Black Stars Above, I, I keep wondering, like, what what scares this man? What what is, what personally brings him down to his knees in fear? Do you ever <laughs> do you ever comp- <laughs> contemplate that as you're writing, or did you contemplate that as you were building out the story?
2: Yeah, I, I think that's sort of what attracts me to to horror in general. Is uh, I think a lot about that that stuff, like to, to a detrimental degree. Oh. Uh, no. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm like a, I'm a very anxious person, and uh, yeah, I, th- I think about just fears in general a lot, and uh, specifically with that, it's sort of about the simultaneous like benefits of having a family and the fear of having a family, and like what what's hereditary and what's not, and like can you ever really escape? what your uh what your upbringing is and this makes it sound like I had a horrible childhood I didn't I love lovely childhood but like it's still something that scares me um uh yeah just thoughts like that and then uh it, it wasn't for me about I'm saying this in the sense of like I didn't write the book because I'm like scared of being alone in the woods even though that is scary for a lot of people I think I'm more I tend to wear more it's like existential uh fears than than like physical ones which is probably why the book feels like it does
1: well, yeah, the Lovecraftian intangible element <laughs> is very present.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And he's like, he's someone who, and an author who, like, when I read, I was like, oh, there, there are people who, who have similar fears to the ones I have, mm-hmm. even though his were like rooted more in xenophobia than sure, obviously right. mine yeah. are, but. <laughs>
1: So um, this might be an easy one, because I suspect I know the answer. But is there a Black Stars Above Extended Universe out there? Or was this crafted as a very finite
2: personal story? Um, it was crafted as as a finite story. Um, but there is, like, I have documents of just, like, the lore behind it. Ooh. And there's, mm-hmm. like, it, it's pretty dense. Um, so, like, there's a bigger world that you'll never see in the mm-hmm. book, uh, and, you know, maybe I'll, like, 20 years from now feel the need to, like, uncover it, and and then I'll say, like, I always intended this to be the prequel <laughs> uh, but oh. But uh, I don't know. I, I like finite stories. I tend to think of stories, all of my stories are, are typically finite, and they typically follow one character throughout the whole story, and mm-hmm. I don't know why. That's just how everything sort of comes out.
0: Yeah, in this day and age of sequels, it's almost, you're a brave man to just go with finite, I feel like. Yeah. So much much is just, you know, spinning it off and trying to keep that ball rolling.
2: Yeah, totally. And I think, like, I don't know, comics is in a weird place where it's hard to convince a publisher to do an ongoing book. Right. So, like, I'm kind of lucky in that sense, because if I had to keep my wheels spinning on something like Black Stars Above, I'd be fucked. But thankfully, (laughs) I don't have to. Sure,
0: sure. You've done a great deal of work with Zach Thompson. I loved your cable
2: run, by the way. Thank you.
0: Um, Was there a specific reason you wanted to tell the story from a singular
2: point? I think it's just like Zach and I had written all of our comics together that had been published, uh, traditionally at least. And I think we just kind of got to a point where uh, while we do have a lot of the same influences and we love working together, there are certain sides of our personalities that we wanted to explore uh, individually. And so was did a few books by himself and, um, Zach's a much quicker writer than I am. So it took me a longer time to, to get mine out. But I think, it, yeah, it just came with the realization of like together we're we're sort of one individual. And then when we split up, we're also like different people.
1: Mm, um, mm-hmm. so
2: it was just like, and a desire to sort of rediscover my, my voice, my solo voice as a writer. Cause I, I hadn't done it for a while. Um, so yeah, I was just sort of born out of that. Sounds
1: exactly like hosting a podcast. Um, <laughs> How dare you? you. Have, <laughs> we'll talk about this later. <laughs> um, do you have to shift gears pretty dramatically to write solo versus collaboratively? Do you and Zach still bounce each other's i bounce ideas off each other for individual books?
2: Uh, yes and no. Like it, it is very different. Like, because like I said, I'm like I'm a very slow writer, and. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm when we Zach and I are reading together, he's kind of the one that like keeps us keeps us going and like forces us forward and I'm always the one that's like, eh, but I don't know this line of dialogue could like we could spend another hour on like figuring out the right word here uh, and so like I, my process is like relentlessly punishingly slow sometimes. Um, and yeah, I don't know and not that that's bad. it's just like it's just different. Um, I, I think about I have to think about things a lot more than I do when it's like there's another person in the room who can like say yes or no immediately
0: yeah I mean uh, that's another podcast situation isn't it Forrest? <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'll tell you later yeah like Zach and I all sort of talk about it as like when we're together it's sort of like you immediately have an editor in the room where like that's interesting. if someone says something mm-hmm. the other person can be like yeah that's great or no yeah. that's really dumb
1: and you have the benefit of uh, it being a person whose vision you trust,
2: right? Or you exactly. think is aligned with yours. Yeah. Yeah. And then when I'm by myself, I'm like, "Isn't this a great idea?" And then I sit there and stare out the window for three hours debating <laughs> whether or not I should I should do it. <laughs> it's um, really, it's like
0: the Cohen brothers or the Wachowskis, you know, like they produce so much stuff over time, probably because of that, or part partly that, that reason.
1: Yeah, totally. Speaking of people, working with people that you trust. Can you tell us a little bit about the kind of bleak and minimalist visual language of Black Stars Above? What did conversations look like between the artists and yourself?
2: Um, yeah, Jenna and I, like, pretty early on, like, she she came on board the book and we had a phone call. And it was, like, the first time we'd ever met. And it was, like, right away we totally oh, understood wow. what each other Wanted uh, because we both have like very similar storytelling sensibilities and very similar influences. And so it was kind of like. I was like, okay, well, I wanted to look like this movie and this, but I also wanted to be a Western. And I wanted to, you know, I wanted to have like a hatchy style. And she was just like, you know, everything I was saying, she was like, oh, yes, this is like exactly what, what I had in mind too. Um, And it was kind of like she said, from reading the pitch, she could like already visualize what this world would be. So it was like it was really easy for us to get on the same page it was like we barely had to do any anything really <laughs> that's awesome and like we talked a lot during the, the whole process of making it and uh, Jenna's trying the last issue right now um, and like I don't know we're just, we're so on the same page about it so it's it's been pretty, mm. pretty easy you, process
1: was your scripting process for um, the visuals intensive or do you kind of trust the artistic team to take an outline and run
2: with it? Oh, no, I write, like, horribly dense scripts that are uh, not, obviously not as bad as Alan Moore, but, like, they get very verbose, and uh, I talk a lot about, like, layouts and backgrounds and stuff mm. uh, and lighting in the scripts, um, which is part of the reason they take me so long to do. Um, and I think, like, thankfully, Jenna's is an, an artist who responds well to that kind of stuff for the most part. like. Yeah, it's been it's been great. And Brad Brad uh the colorist also likes having that stuff and then I also leave a lot of lettering notes for Hassan. So it's like my scripts are really like a a, a dense blueprint and then everyone else kind of comes in and uh you know does what they will with it.
0: When you're developing characters like Ulele or Yandu or Cable <laughs> do you flesh them a out A real Motley crew. Yeah. <laughs> I want to read that. Oh comment. my god! <laughs> I don't. <laughs> <laughs> do you flesh them out to personalize them to your style and your approach? Like, do you do like a character interview? I've I've seen people do that before, or is there some other way to better understand them? Do you do anything to kind of like approach the character development part?
2: Uh, it's different for for superhero stuff and creator-owned stuff. Um, with Cable, for example, it was just like a lot, like a, I read all pretty much the whole entirety of Cable's library. And it was a matter of like finding out what were the consistent things in his voice for, across the different writers. Um, and then also the things that I thought were stupid and the things that I liked, <laughs> and sort of picking them out. <clears throat> and uh, like a real
1: comics fan <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. Uh, and it was, you know, cable is always sort of like, I know he has a huge fan base, and and I love him too, but but he's kind of he he never really amounted to much more than a a guy with big guns um, except for a few arcs uh, where people like did some really interesting things with him. And so we wanted to, you know, we knew it had to be that because that's who the character is, but it was still a matter of how can we imbue emotion into this in a way that won't seem out of character, uh, but will still resonate with, with people who who've read uh, about him their whole lives.
0: Right. That creates some conflict there, I'm sure. Yeah.
2: And then Yondu was kind of like, he has to talk sort of like he does in the movies. Mm. Uh, and then it was, there was one other book that this new Yondu was in. So he read that and it still didn't offer very, not that it was a bad book. It was a good, good book, but it didn't offer very much in terms of like his voice. Um, so for, for that character, it was specifically Zach and us, Zach and myself being like, how do we want to define this character going forward in the Marvel universe? And how do we give someone who's only been in four issues before make it seem like he's been here since the start. Didn't do like too much extensive, like document character building. uh, But that's something I do for my creator own stuff. We're all right. Like pages of biographies and stuff like that for them.
0: Have you ever done a character interview?
2: Um, I only had to do it once. Uh, There was an editor who forced me to do it. Uh, Oh no, uh, (laughs) that's not a good way to. And they're an amazing editor. Uh, unfortunately, the the book didn't work out, um, and I kind of like groaned at the process of of doing it. But mm-hmm. uh, it was interesting. It, it did like give me a lot of information that that I didn't have before, to sort of answer questions in that character's voice. Um, but it's not obviously it didn't. Uh, it's not something I chose to do again. So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> what's funny is if you do a character interview of like Spider Man, like you someone could actually answer all those questions <laughs> by
2: using canon. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> And that's what's sort of nice. It's why I think we're able to work fast on Marvel projects is because you know, these are characters that have been in, in my brain since I was like six years old. Mm-hmm. So like, when I sit down and have to write Storm, it's not like I have to figure out how to do it. It's just there.
0: Right, right, right. What fascinates me the most about Black Stars Above, at least for me, is the isol- isolationism of it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we see it in a lot of great modern horror films. And I'm wondering... Is this a theme we're seeing because of how technology has changed our world? And I know I kind of touched on this earlier, but I wanted to ask was was that a factor in approaching Black Stars Above and and, and developing it?
2: Just in terms of like getting away from technology,
0: yeah, and like how modern technology bombards us with so much, we're never we're never actually isolated anymore.
2: Uh, or I, I mean, to, not to like counter counterpoint you, but yeah. I, th- I think we're uh, oh, we're dealing. Yeah, with with a different type of isolation right. uh, mm-hmm. than we were in the past mm. um, because I think uh, even though we're connected 24-7 yeah. there's, right. there's an, a different type of isolation and loneliness that, that comes from that um, and I guess maybe those two words are interesting to use because like isolation and, and loneliness are two different things that we it's sort true. of use interchangeably um, so like perhaps we're not isolated but we're lonely in different ways Sure,
1: or even alienation especially when you're dealing with existential cosmic horror you know
2: yeah and you yeah. know that's something if you're not part of the conversation in whatever online community you're in you, you do feel a sense of loneliness or alienation um so yeah I'm, I'm sure that's you know part of the cultural zeitgeist and why we're seeing it more in, in horror stories um as like whether or not that was like a conscious thing for black stars above i'm not sure like i definitely wanted the reader to feel a sense of isolation and I, for them to feel Eulalia's loneliness, but it wasn't like a intentional thing to be like to compare it to to, to the way technology influences us now.
1: Mm-hmm. Are there the, to shift gears completely? <laughs> um, are there any other underused characters like Yandu that you would love to give the miniseries treatment if you had the opportunity? Uh,
2: yeah i I don't think it's going to happen. Um, I, I just pitched it, but mm. um, I really want to write man thing. Yeah. yeah. Ooh. Yeah. And I want to make man thing really on this topic of loneliness. I want to make man thing sad and lonely again.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and not a movie star. <laughs> yeah. Oh my
2: God, dude. I can't, I can't, I can't say like, I can't say too much about that. Yeah. Uh, but it broke my heart when I read that. Art. <laughs> um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I love the character, and I, I think he's sort of been living in the shadow of Swamp Thing since Alan Moore touched Swamp Thing, and mm-hmm. uh, I want to, uh, I want to do something that sort of separates him from that character completely uh, yes. and makes him like individual again.
1: In the same vein. Um, you mentioned that you have a lot of different influences and that you've been able to touch on them, uh, touch on them, and cross Yandu and Age of X Man and now Black Stars Above. Are there any specific influences or genres that you haven't been able to tap yet?
2: The Western, which I mean, mm. sort of. Zach and I are, have a Western coming out uh, in February, uh, so like that was another one that I'd really wanted to do, uh, that I hadn't, um, and I, I want to do another Western. <laughs> it's like sort of like. <laughs> once you do it you want to keep doing it um and then the my like since I since I started taking writing seriously like my big goal was uh gothic fiction is like my like my number one and I wanted to write a, a sort of modern gothic story so that's what I'm currently working on um and it's hard because there's like so much I want to do with it but such limited space for it um and then, I mean, eventually, I'd like to to do some more like straight drama stuff, and and like not have the crutch of, of genre to to back up my stories.
0: Where might we see this uh, western series? Which uh, the
2: the western is called Undone by Blood, and it is coming out through Aftershock on February twelfth. Oh, so soon! Yes, very nice. soon. Nice,
0: very cool. Do you have any other projects uh, coming out that folks should be out and look, looking looking out for?
2: that's it for the like immediate future um zach and i have another uh book we're working on together at uh aftershock um and then jenna and i are working on something new and uh i have another book of my own that i'm working on so there's a lot of stuff in the pipeline but um nothing that i can like say too much about Mm.
0: will we be seeing the x-men (laughs) exe anytime soon
2: I don't, not from me at least. Yeah, uh, I wish I, I did like that world quite a bit. Um, but Chris Robinson, the editor uh, at Marvel, is sort of heading that stuff up, and I know I think it was his idea originally. So I'm sure he doesn't want it to to go anywhere. Um, he's he finds his way to sneak it in whenever he can. So I'm sure he's got something <laughs> up his sleeve.
1: Nice. Um, how do you think Yondu would fare in the world of Black Stars Above?
2: <laughs> oh my God, that's like something. I never... Ever wanted to think about? <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: you just made Lonnie fear something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. I don't know why I have such like a visceral reaction to that, but it's like making my skin crawl. <laughs> like the idea of crossing those two worlds over is horrible to me. Uh, I think I think he would probably just die right <laughs> away. <laughs>
0: Nice. Moving on. In a, in, a, in a short segment we call Off Topic Top Shelf, we want to ask you, what are you interested in right now that's not comics related?
2: Uh, like specifically something I'm interested in right now or just like in general something that I'm... Yeah, something you're enjoying,
0: like a Netflix show or a book re- oh, you're okay. reading. Yeah. Oh,
2: man. Uh, I'm not watching very much right now. Hamburgers. Uh, bananas? I, I do love <laughs> bananas. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I've been reading, uh, sort of for research for the graphic novel I'm working on. Uh, so it's sort of related to comics. I don't know if that counts, uh, but it's, it's a book called, um, Uncle Silas by Sheridan Le Fanu from the, uh, end of the 1800s. And it's like considered a Gothic masterpiece that like people don't really know about. And it's, um, was a big influence on, uh, Del Toro for Crimson Peak. And it's, uh, oh, cool. it's really great. Um, I also just read uh, the girl from the other side, the first volume of that. It's a manga series.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Do you know what that is? No. It's a. I think there's like seven or eight volumes of it, um, and it's like, it's. Yeah, I just read it last night because Jenna wanted me to read it, and it's it's like so heartbreaking but really dark. It's about this little girl who lives with this sort of like monster creature and there's a curse uh like like tormenting the the whole town and uh just kind of really sad and, and but also like really nice um and then I just read Junji Ito's new book which is uh an adaptation of a novel
1: no longer uh, human right? yeah yeah
2: and that thing just like I sat down to to just like read the first chapter and I ended up reading the whole thing and took me like several hours to read and it that thing blew me away. It's like Genji Ito doing, using horror to uh, communicate like drama. And it's uh, it's really incredible to see like someone who's so good uh, at the medium uh, just like adapt their style to, to something completely different.
0: Mm-hmm. That's great. Now we have to check those out for us. <laughs>
1: no other <wonder laughs> humans think,
2: on my shopping list. <laughs> I think in terms of like movies and TV, the last. One of the, <laughs> we went to see cats. over. Oh, floor. no.
0: Were you scared or, or laughing? or?
2: We were like, like, our jaws were open during the whole movie because it was so fucking baffling. <laughs> like, it, it's just, I can't even describe it. And I've heard some people say like, oh, it's not that bad. It was kind of like an entertaining experience. And I'm like, what fucking world do you live in? But that's entertaining it was it was just a disaster from start to finish uh but we had we had a, a lot of fun watching it
0: they need to make a documentary about that so we can all figure out why why it all went so wrong i mean even like the cgi wasn't finished right when they've released it yeah. that first weekend
2: it's so weird and like i've been sort of i've been reading interviews with the director to just sort of like see where his head was at and everything i read i'm just like i hate it even more <laughs>
0: Cause he thinks it's like even better than what it is or whatever.
2: Yeah. Like he, he thinks it's good. And like, I don't know. I try not to like shit on other artists and stuff, but like, fuck that guy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, with that,
0: Lonnie, we are done with the interview. <laughs> uh, actually, our producers are telling us, stop him now, stop him right yeah. now. We actually are funded by the Cats producers. We're tapped right into the Cats funnel, yeah. <laughs> well, oh, Black man. Stars Above number three comes out January 29th. Go pick that up. That's from Vault Comics. Thank you so much, Lonnie. This has been a lot of fun.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: All right, that was an interesting interview with Lonnie. What would you say for us? Absolutely big fan. So we're easing into the year. So we're actually going to go back a little bit and do our best of 2019 to wrap it all up because we read a lot of comics for 52 straight weeks. (laughs) That is true. We have a bunch of categories to get through, but we're not going to debate it this time like we did last week with the year in review.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think when we nominated these or when we broke these out from the um, gargantuan giant-sized Year in Review podcast that we did last week, it just kind of felt shitty and mean to pit individual creators against each other. Yeah. Um, so these categories, you know, cover things like best writer, best cover artist, best colorist, best letterer, um, those sorts of things. And mm-hmm. we obviously want to recognize the individual contributions to the comics industry and the books that we read this year, just as much as we did talking about great trends in publishing or bad trends in publishing um, last week.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm hmm. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, I think it's fair game if you want to disagree with me, but (laughs) I'm going to throw down what I thought was the best of the best of each category. I'm going to do my best to talk about the best. All right. In our first category gone too soon, the best canceled series. My pick was Loki by Daniel Kibblesmith and Oscar Baz Aljua, um, I actually talked about this in an article last week at aptcomics.com, but I'm going to talk about it again, because I actually reviewed this, uh, the collection of Loki uh, this week at aptcomics.com, and I was reflecting on it, knowing that it was over, uh, how it ends. It ends with a story that's very singular about Loki and how he tells stories. And at the end of the story, he actually explains to someone all these different uh, plots that the, the story could go. And then directly following this, uh, Kibble Smith writes a letter, uh, basically like an outro, like saying goodbye. And in it, he not uh, he pretty much is clear. Like I wanted to keep going, but we just didn't. Mm. We don't know why. Mm-hmm. Um, and that makes it even harder. And that's why it's my gone too soon, because uh, it was already a really good series. I highly recommend the uh, five issues, but. To know that he had more planned for Loki and the way he wrote Loki so strongly, I, I, it's just so sad that it has to end now. That's my pick.
1: Uh, my pick is Tom Taylor and various artists' friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. I also wrote about this last week over at aoptcomics.com. But um, for a time, for a very short time, too short of a time, really, I think this hit 14 issues, I didn't feel like the mainline Spider-Man story was the best one. Um, I I like what Nick is doing over with Amazing Spider-Man, but this book just rang so much truer of Peter Parker and the person that he is to me, Um, the high highs and the low lows of the superhero life and also the kind of person he is and the the kind of family man and grandson and partner he's trying to be. I really thought when they pitched the idea of this comic that it was going to be like a quote-unquote sister series to Amazing Spider-Man about peter's life just on the one block that he lives on in brooklyn it sounded unfe- and they kind of pitched it that way they too. did pitch it that way that's what i mean yeah. uh, it sounded unfeasible to me i was like i don't mm. really want to read that we see the other stuff in comics because that's the good stuff you know yeah. being hunted and kindred and 2099 and all those big fantastical events but it it really This book really, really benefited from having a a quieter time and a quieter place. And the story gets crazy and big and stuff Um, to explore Peter Parker and the nuance that he feels about, you know, uh, the Prowler returning or um, about Aunt May being sick. And those stories have obviously happened in regular mainline Spider-Man stories, but I don't feel like they did with the depth or the level of attention that um, was in Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man. And I'm going to miss this book very sincerely. I liked it a lot.
0: And uh, Tom Taylor also introdu- introduced a new character in this series, too. Several. Right? Yeah. 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 So, yeah, th- that makes it even more unfortunate because there's so much more to build. Yeah, out.
1: I mean, I think he spoke. You, by proxy, did an interview that I wrote um, for at San, Di- <laughs> San Diego Comic-Con. Uh, for that, yeah. us and I had questions about that like when do you get to use characters does Marvel get to say oh you can't use this because it's in the main Spider-Man book stuff and he said yeah but also I was so much more interested in creating my own characters and writing th- my own cast of characters that support Spider-Man and I thought he did a really fantastic job with that
0: well speaking of writers uh our next category is best writer do 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 We're, they're they're walking up to the podium do, do 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 do. My pick is Jason Aaron. Uh, he wrote a lot of comics in 2019. A lot of Thor comics and an event series, which is not easy to do. Um, if you've ever read an interview with someone who's pulled off an event, like it's this huge uh, thing because of the tie-ins, a lot of it. Uh, but also, you have to pull in all these characters and have them all in one place at one time. He also ended his Thor run. Um, <clears throat> He also has the Image series with uh, Dennis Hopeless Hallam, Sea of Stars that came out. He's co-writing um, Valkyrie with Al Ewing. He's all over the place. He's doing so much. And personally, a, a, one of the reasons why I picked him was because of his end on Thor. I mean, it's been going on for seven plus years now. And I think he beautifully finished that series with King Thor, a four-issue miniseries. And he had Assad Ribic join him. And then on the last issue, he had like, I don't even remember how many, 15 artists, all of which were involved in his Thor run at some point. So it was a really beautiful send off, And it, you don't always get to see an, a writer finish a long run of a character like uh, Jason Aaron got to do. Uh, and so that was it was really beautiful.
1: Uh, my pick is for Cy Spurrier. I've spoken at length about why I like Cy Spurrier throughout the year, but I just feel like there were so many opportunities for Psy to take the easy way out this year across the comics that he was writing. Like, it's easy to write a punchy, dumb, funny genre Star Wars comic, or um, to make a very easy, world-buildy, too-dense fantasy comic, or, you know, to just completely ape and emulate what Neil Gaiman was doing with Dreaming. And Psy rebukes that opportunity at every turn with all the books that he wrote this year. He's so interested in making the reader happy and in conveying his personal um, view on the world through characters, through the right lenses in the art of narrative and in the art of storytelling. And some of the dreaming is very explicitly about that. And so is Coda. Coda. Um, And he he partners with these really, really fantastic artists that elevate his book beyond even, I think, IG-88, this little dumb short story that he wrote, um, is really felt elevated by compared to everything it was around. Um, I feel the same way about the creation of Dr. Afra and stuff in that he really seems to be writing to convey a message, um, even if that message is that sometimes people are irredeemable or complex or hateful um which a lot of coda is about that people are sometimes disappointing even though they believe in the right things in the world um or that they can be entirely misguided by their justifications for doing the right thing i i really love his natural funny but incredibly intelligent dialogue that's on display in like hellblazer um i just across everything that he wrote i see a book that a lesser writer would have taken the really easy way out on and every single time I read one of his books this year, I was like, he really went for it. Um, and I, I just uh, really appreciate that level of attention, detail, and compassion for the craft. Because comics is a very, very specific medium.
0: And he, uh, The Dreaming was our pick for best series, I think, right? Ongoing series on yes, the show last week. Yes.
1: Yeah, the Cy uh I mean, I love The Dreaming. Mm. Definitely, Yeah, almost, I, uh, Coda is one of my favorite there. comics of the year. It started in 2018, but the the Denouement and Finale that came out um, late, or actually mid-2019, um, I thought was really, really fantastic.
0: Nice. Uh, speaking of the Dreaming, <laughs> uh, next category, Best Artist. My pick is Bilquis Evely, who draws uh, most of the Dreaming. There has been some fill-in artists here and there. Um uh, Evelie has been a phenomenal artist the day I started reading her. Um, um, ever since I saw her work on uh, Sugar and Spike, I couldn't get enough. The That's a story with two characters that don't have superpowers. They actually have guns that shoot like darts that knock people out. Uh, very low-key, but it was so intense, so well-crafted uh, visually. And her work on The Dreaming is a big part of why it feels... The wonderment of it, the big book, the mythical nature of it, Uh, Evelie just captures something very human in a lot of characters that aren't human at all. And that's important uh, when there is such a a wide variety of characters in The Dreaming. And the world itself is just vividly beautiful. Evelie has the style that I would think it would be perfect for if she she lived like in 1850 she'd be doing those really cool sketches inside novels that you get every couple pages that's just so wonderful the detail is just out of this world and I recommend going to her Twitter she actually does a lot of uh, videos of her inking and stuff and every single line is inked over and I just can't how many hours it takes to ink a comic book it must drive people wild and
1: she does it all uh without digital it's all uh it's all physical so yeah, that's my pick for best artist. My best artist of the year is Trad Moore, largely for their work on um, Silver Surfer Black, but they also worked on an Alice cot book, um, The New World. Trad has this fantastic ability to create a very specific time and place, but it's a time and place that you will never ever travel to or ever be to. Um, there's uh, some segments early on in Silver Surfer Black where Silver Surfer is traveling back in time and, you know, in a very psychedelic um, Kirby esque way, his body is like multiplying and stretching. And there's all these bright, strange colors behind him, but it feels very grounded just in a metaphysical strange way that our own day-to-day lives. Aren't it feels like the right thing for silver, silver surfer. um, But at the same time, it feels entirely alien to my own experience um, and I just really, really love the way that that specific stylized art style can still be used to convey, like, how evil Null is or how sad Silver Surfer is, and all these things that are relatable, and then put them through this kind of kaleidoscope like lens of LSD dreams and nightmares and stuff. And it was really, really impactful. I, I, you either love or hate stylized art, right? Um, I think Mm -hmm. some people have some very strong feelings about anime style art, um, big buggy eyes. Some people have some very strong feelings about like Funko Pops. Um, And Trad (laughs) Moore has a very, very definite style, um, even across covers for like the Alien 3 book that came out. And every time I recognize it, I'm like, this is Trad Moore's trademark look. And it conveys a very specific scary but also wonderful message um and silver surfer black really encapsulates that
0: yeah yeah that's a great place for him just to, to be yeah. bringing that kind of style yeah. uh next
1: up an artist best cover artist Forrest. who is your best cover artist my best cover cover artist and we didn't actually talk about this book much this year but as uh julian tedesco who did most of the covers for Chip Zdarsky's Daredevil series thus far. They're really cool uh, storytelling-laden vignettes. Like, it'll just be Matt Murdock's bloodied hand sitting at a coffee table, and he's got, like, you know someone else is at the table because there's one hand slightly out of frame with a police badge. The white coffee mug is, like, covered in blood. Um, That kind of stuff. Those, those, like, snapshots of a day-to-day life in the absolute hilarity, sincerity, and frightfulness of superhero lives. Um, Especially Daredevil, who feels like such a grounded character to me. Um, I really like those snapshots of like what he's going through and and they're rendered so beautifully like paintings. Yeah. Like paintings with immense texture, great um, choreography. Yeah. Uh,
0: My pick is very much paintings, Alex Ross, which I've said this on the show like a hundred times. It's almost like cheating to pick Alex Ross because there's no one else like Alex Ross with his full paintings. I swear to God, he must have put out, what, 25 covers this year?
1: At least. That's another reason why I picked
0: him. Every cover is exceptional, realistic, uh, moody. It does what it's trying to do, and you know what it's trying to do almost instantly. Uh, Particularly his Conan covers were astounding. Uh, But he also did a Spawn 300 cover. He did Marvel 1000. I mean, this guy is getting the primo uh, uh, work uh, for primo titles.
1: I want to know what he costs. What do you think? 5,000 a cover? No. Oh, and, uh, I mean, I 10, don't want to. I don't even know. I don't want to pretend to know. A lot. <laughs> he, or, he And or he's putting out, be a lot. He's putting out a cover every, I would say, every two weeks. He's a, a yeah, different cover. Because
0: yeah. there are weeks where there's two or three of his. And
1: I've seen some photos of his studios working on Immortal Hulk and Captain America stuff. And it seems in some cases that he's making like a full scale painting that is then scanned down. Right. Uh, that's right. crazy.
0: Similar to Julian, too, he stays on certain titles for the length of like Captain America and Hulk, in particular. Yeah, and similar to Chad Moore, like,
1: it really conveys the tone of that book.
0: I feel like uh, Alex Ross is telling a story across the book, too. Mm -hmm. Uh, Obviously, he's not getting the full plot and script or whatever. Maybe he is, but... Uh, he's telling like just a snapshot of the story in each in each issue, and to be on a uh, Immortal Hulk for so many issues in a row, yeah, it's quite something. Yeah,
1: there's a I think it might be like the 14th issue of Immortal Hulk. Uh, there's this mm-hmm. really skinny, scary, emaciated Hulk crawling out of a crater on the cover, and there's these pillars of smoke behind him. But if you look closer, they're actually like piles of mangled bodies. Ooh, um, and it took the it took my breath away.
0: Nice. Next up, best colorist. Forest, what do you say? Uh, my pick
1: for best colorist is Ian Herring for um, his work on Ghost Spider and uh, also previously Spider Gwen, Ghost Spider. Um, we talked a lot about how artists and cover artists and stuff convey a specific tone or they, they tell a story across a book and we don't often as reviewers and as comics fans give enough attention to how true that is for colorists also um the colors in shauna mcguire's ghost spider are so vibrant and cool and decided there's all these like muted pinks and dark dark blacks and bright neon blues and purples of of all varying um, hues and shades and stuff and they convey character very very well like the entire page will get quite a bit darker when Gwen is feeling down or when she's swinging through the city everything's bright and there's bright white neon reflecting off of um, all of the skyscrapers that she's swinging through it's got this really neat almost dedicated cyber esque, cyberpunk-esque feel to it um that changes on a whim like it just snaps into place exactly when it's needed um that book is is very very dialogue driven and very character interaction driven and i think ian's color work does a great job in making those scenes not as boring as they could be.
0: Nice. Yeah. I I feel like color artists don't get enough credit. Absolutely not. And inkers too. I mean, I've seen some not to get off topic, but I've seen some pencils, you know, with ink slapped on it and it just looks thousand times different. Yeah. Um, My uh, favorite color artist of the year is uh, Matthew Wilson he does a lot <laughs> he's all over the place now that's another thing that's common with colorists uh especially in 2019 you just see the same four or five names on everything um wilson did war of the realms again uh which i mentioned before with jason aaron uh the wicked and the divine uh paper girls uh conan um, he's doing thor uh with uh, donny cates this year uh the work is exceptional he's able to also like lend um a certain texture and mood to a scene that is instantly captured but also i think there's a, a, lot, a lot of variance in in the style um war of the realms for instance was bright but still subdued because there is a war going on and there's a lot of mayhem uh, whereas something like paper girls is um almost cartoon i don't know cartoony it's very like it's it's not very super realistic it's not too, it's it's still uh atmospheric and mm-hmm. i don't know it's mm-hmm. there's a lot going on and conan obviously is this fantasy where you know the texture and depth of a page can be captured so well i i, I think matt wilson's one of the best in the business
1: i have and no beef with that <laughs> best letterer
0: <laughs> i'm gonna go with joe sabino uh, Joe again. Joe Sabino's name is on like, a lot of Marvel books, and uh, I'm picking him in particular because of the work he did on King Thor. There is some fantastic stuff going on between Gore, Loki, and Thor. Um, it's it's not a simple typeface going on. There's there's a story being told in those word balloons, and I was captivated by it.
1: Uh, my pick for letterer is the editor of panel by panel, Hassan Osmane Alahu. Um, largely for his work on, uh, Peter Cannon Thunderbolt throughout the year, that book goes through so many different visuals and genres and eras of comics. And every time Hassan's lettering is there to really sell the effect Um, You can make vignettes or aged sepia tone images in comics and you can make people talk all old like and stuff. But really reading that (laughs) and making it feel grounded that way, it takes a good letterer. And I thought he did that across the book very well. And he worked on uh, Black Stars Rising. Black Stars Above.
0: Black Stars Above. Sorry. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And uh, all the all the like uh, cursive going on in that book, too. Mm -hmm. Crazy. Yeah. Next up, witness the montage on screen. Best newcomer, <laughs> baby of the year. <laughs> Who's your best newcomer, uh, Forrest?
1: Uh, my best newcomer is Darcy Van Polgeest for his work on Little Bird from Image Comics. Uh, Darcy was previously a film writer and I think director. I may be wrong about that. Yeah, I um, think so. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. and like. Talking about someone that really understands how to get tone and a message and a specific style across and is probably also very visually minded as you have to be when making film. It's the perfect fit for um, transitioning to comics. Little Bird is such an interesting, good looking, well plotted book about war and humanity and the highs of highs and lows of being a person or not person. Uh, violence, compassion, all this stuff. And like, I think it really takes someone that already has a very defined style and view of the world to make a comic that is as strong as Little Bird. And it's even harder to translate all of that stuff that you already think or have executed well in another medium over to a comic. And Little Bird is just so good. Um, I kept making a promise to myself that I would read it when it was finally out in trade uh, throughout the year on the show. And I actually... Uh, gave up on that and started reading the single issues, and I was really, really blown away.
0: Yeah, Darcy's a, a creator to watch. That's for sure. Absolutely. Uh, my pick is N.K. Jemison. Um, she wrote Far Sector, just two issues at DC Comics uh, with Jamal Campbell. But man, I am a sucker for well thought out uh, and deep uh, world building in science fiction. And you get that with uh, Far Sector. It's a Green Lantern book but it doesn't feel like a superhero story or a conventional one. There's a lot of world building with the different alien races on different planets who are warring with each other. Um, Jemison is uh, a Hugo Award winning a novelist, a multiple Newton Hugo Awards. So she knows what she's doing with her pen. Anyway, I can't wait to see what she comes out with next. Now, I, I want Far Sector to continue and, and I can't wait to the end of that. But Jemison, give us some more. Give me more. Go to Image. <laughs> Go to Marvel. Come on. Give me a Thor. Put her on Thor. Do it. <laughs> Give me a Thor. Make Give, me a Thor. Oh, no. Put her on um, um New Mutants. Yeah, fire the other guy. I, I can't remember his name. Miss Jemison, make me a Thor. <laughs> okay, in our next category, best single issue. Again, something we talked about already on amputeecomics.com. What is your best single issue, Forrest?
1: <laughs> it's impossible to talk about this issue without spoiling it. But uh, my favorite single issue or issue structured as a one shot (laughs) is uh, one of the saddest comic book issues I've read all year. Hopeful and happy, I would say. Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man number six. Um, This is a it just comes kind of out of nowhere. Spider-Man is finally suddenly fighting alongside a little uh, child sidekick named Spider-Bite. The stakes are stacked against them in crazy ways. Instead of the Sinister Six, it's the Sinister 60, a two-page Whoa. beautiful spread that Juan Cabal brought to life fantastically. And you really feel like, okay, well, I mean, he's got a little um, sidekick, but that's not going to make it happen. Um, and then the the whole facade kind of melts away, and it's revealed that uh, Spider-Man is playing Spider-Man um, with a sick kid in a, in a hospital. Mm who wants to be Mm -hmm. spider bite, who looks up to his hero and wants to bring a little bit of the goodness and the earnestness and stuff of Spider-Man's pathos into his own life. And and that Peter Parker is more than happy to comply with that, especially while his own aunt is sick. Um, It's beautiful. It's it's a sucker punch. It's sad. It's heartbreaking, but it's also endearing and hopeful. Um, It just made me feel really good. And it, it, more than any other issue that came out this year, I felt like that's Peter Parker. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It, it had a great message, and I, I loved it a lot.
0: This is a really hard category for me to pick something. There was a couple Batman annuals I liked. Um, I'm, aii am I when I pick up a book and it's done in one, I'm such a su- such a sucker for it, and it happened a couple times. But Doctor Strange number eighteen was my pick uh, by Mark Wade and Jesus Saaez. Uh, Basically, Doctor Strange shows up at a house that's having some plumbing issues and (laughs) ends up being a big old monster in the basement. And (laughs) As they're wont to do. A very suburban uh, neighborhood with a very suburban uh, wife and husband are shocked and appalled at what's going on. And it's hilariously told. uh, Strange just acts like it's no big deal, uh, even though the entire universe could crumble at any moment because of this weird thing in their pipes. And the idea of like Doctor. Strange being like a plumber for a day is just so cute and fun and uh, yeah it's just every every single one of the 20 pages was entertaining um, for whatever reason be it the art or the uh, the dialogue Next up best non 2019 comic we read for the first time this year that's right folks we haven't read it all we're not that perfect but we try to be <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, my pick was Hitmonkey by Daniel Way. I never actually read the original Hitmonkey series. I knew of Hitmonkey because he's the, like tag-teaming with Deadpool all the time. But to read the origin story of this insane character. Now, this is Daniel Way before he was DC Young Animal Daniel Way. He wasn't quite like blowing up yet. I think he was trying to like get his bearings and, and break into comics. And I think he did a pretty good job with it. Um, I recommend checking it out just to see how ridiculous and bonkers it is, and yet somehow emotional and real. A Monkey Hitman. That's right. What's your uh, best song? <laughs> I comic.
1: wanted to let you leave on that stinger for a bit. That's right. Um, my pick is a, a manga called uh, Doro Hidoro, uh, written and illustrated by Q. Hayashida. Uh, it tells the story of an amnesiac. I'm reading the Wikipedia. Intro for this uh, tells the story of an amnesiac reptile-headed man named Cayman, who works together with his friend Nikaido to recover his memories and survive in this strange kind of stacked Judge Dredd-esque city world with witches and thugs and gangsters and also like skull-headed dogs attached by their butts to a giant monster, and it's like so over the top ridiculous, but also very honest. And realistic, and like everybody has these crazy goals, like eat the heart of a wizard and stuff that they're trying to pull off. But like, then it just gets down to the nitty gritty of like how sad and depressing human experience is and how oh, how, how important friendship is and stuff like that. Um, it has over 25 volumes, so I'm not entirely caught up on it. But um, the visual style is so very distinct, and I've seen a lot of people complain about his inability to draw anatomy um, well. But I actually think like it works really, really well for this book, and it's very cool and serious and funny in equal measure, both visually and in its writing. Um, and you know this script has to be good because it is um, – it being translated, which means that the mm. source material is probably very, very strong, um, including, like, giant cockroaches named Johnson and stuff like that. Um, I, I like, like that it we a b- lot.
0: both picked books with uh, animal heroes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, next category. Best graphic novel. Mm. Forest. Yeah. Did you, did you read Swimming in Darkness?
1: I haven't yet. That's I my should. pick. And I yeah. bought...
0: I, I, I mailed you You mailed it to me. I copy. feel so bad now. Well, here we are in 2020. Why do you tell me about you still it? still haven't read my gift. <laughs> and I'm emotional right now because it's so good. Oh, God. It's just so good. It's like European st- style. Um, the author is, I forget his name right now. Sorry. But uh, he's a French-Japanese man. And I think this is his first major work. And the book has a very European style to it. It's a beautifully made book, uh, soft cover, soft, well, hard cover, but with like a soft, I don't know, linen on it. And um, it tells a tale about a man going to this uh, mountain, snowy mountain town and discovering something about himself. And I'm not going to say anything more, but he is an architect. He's trying to kind of finish his thesis after being fired and... Obviously has some problems of his own, maybe rage, and he goes to a spa that is uh, of interest to him, and the walls might be moving around. I don't know. And <laughs> <laughs> he falls. He falls for a girl, et cetera, et cetera. It's quite. It's it's extra too to uh, really let the art sing. Yeah, it's it is beautiful. Measured.
1: I, it is beautiful.
0: Yeah, it's it's the, the 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 storytelling is what really got me though. Like it's a lot of nine panel structure, mm. but. Uh, mm-hmm. It tells a story where
1: you're really gripped by it. What's your pick? Um, Swimming in Darkness was written and drawn by Lucas Harari. Thank you. Uh, my pick was Laura Dean keeps breaking up with me. Uh, one of the aforementioned Glad uh, outstanding comics nominees. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. This is a book about a woman named Freddie who um, Laura Dean keeps breaking up with. Laura Dean is kind of her idealized, perfect girlfriend. It's a very queer story. It's a very intimate, personal story. It's incredibly sad, um, but also important and heartwarming and cathartic. It um, takes place, it starts after Laura Dean has broken up with Freddie for the third time. Um, And they're kind of seemingly trapped in this really negative, um, but very human a cycle of toxic relationships and freddie as we walk as we read the series slowly starts turning into a very toxic person themselves um they're mean to their friends they ghost their friends they're looking for any possible way including like going to a psychic to bring laura dean back into their life um and it, it kind of goes through all the The highs and lows of being in love and caring about other people and trying to also in equal measure care about yourself, but maybe not recognizing or not wanting to recognize the bad things in yourself that prevent other people from getting close to you. Self-isolationism, alienation. Um, It's also just really beautiful. Lots of um, stunning, stark whites and pinks. Um, A very simplistic but engaging Artistic style, Um, I liked it a lot. A lot, a lot, a lot. Nice. I need to read that, man. I hope that you do. Um, I will read Swimming in Darkness if you read. Laura Dean keeps (laughs) breaking up with me. Well, you got to mail it to me first. (laughs) The the true thing is that um, the same for we said for last week is I hope folks that are interested enough in listening to us talk about comics for you know over three hours check out all these books because you and I read a lot of comics and review a lot of comics and these are the ones that stuck out to us in a really, really great year for comics.
0: Yeah, I I keep pinching myself because I feel like maybe I'm losing my mind because I don't remember comics being this good. (laughs) Yeah,
1: I I felt that way too, especially looking back over like the top comics of the year on comicbookroundup.com. I was like, man, there were a lot of good comics. Like the top 50 comics, I was like, oh, that was a good book. Oh, that was a good book. Oh, that was a good issue, Mm -hmm. you know?
0: And you know, with all these good comics, there's also good panels. In our next category, best single panel. What is oh, the one I think panel?
1: Skipped over one.
0: No, I'm not. Gonna, I'm going to skip over it.
1: Oh, oh, all right. That's right. Go off.
0: We'll go back to it's it. It's your show, I guess.
1: Uh,
0: <laughs> we're, we'll get back to it. Best single panel. I'm going to pick Avengers: No Road Home. There's a double-page uh, splash by Sean yeah. Isaac's that uh, basically has every hero from different times fighting Nyx, this um, this new villain, and Uh, at the top left it says the house of ideas and it's so it is and there are x-men there are fantastic four there's spider-man both spider-mans black Panther, every hero is in there there's these really cool square panels behind them all to sort of add some depth but they all come at you at different depths because of the like translucency or something it's very fascinating how we did it but it's just epically laid out it's just like if you love marvel comics like make a poster of this and put it on your wall
1: Uh, you sent it to me in Slack, and I normally kind of, that's a really difficult value proposition, when someone has to draw mm. that many characters, um, and yes. you like, wow, yeah. they really didn't nail one of these. Um, <clears throat> look at the incoming cover, zoom in on Venom. But um, <laughs> I was really blown away by how perfectly executed this is, and like you uh, alluded to, how perfectly it matches up with the specific message of uh, the House yes. of Ideas that's supposed to be conveyed on that page, that splash. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite? Uh, My favorite is the second page of Absolute Carnage number one. It is a two-page splash page. Uh, Ryan Stegman hit it out of the fucking park with this. It's, like, got a DNA strand going across both uh, pages. It's null and venom. It's all this kind of dour, gory, gross red and black. It's drippy. Um, And it also shows, like, how – and I think ultimately, like – this was the entire point of Absolute Carnage was to show how integral Venom actually is to the Marvel mm-hmm. Universe. And so you have, like, there's cosmic horror in this. There's, like, the the small man, Eddie Brock, and his personal doubts and stuff. And then you also have on, like, the far end of the page Captain America and Wolverine turning into Venom or being Venomized and stuff. And he, mm-hmm. it really imparts this, like... Venom is kind of everything and has been everywhere. Um and it's just so so beautifully drawn. A real uh a real love letter to the story they had been telling to Venom leading up to Absolute Carnage and then also just like an absolute number 1 with a bullet this book is going to get weird and gross and it did. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's easy to it's easy to forget the history Venom has cuz he's such a stylized character. He's like Yeah. Deadpool in that when he's his originally he was really just a look but eventually you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. some interesting chapters in there
1: yeah and I think the art here uh Stigman really throughout that whole book um really conveyed mm-hmm. that in a neat way
0: the category I poignantly skipped <laughs> uh is ironic because it's comic we wish we spent more time with we're caught up on and apparently I don't <laughs> uh my comic that i want to catch up on is action comics uh by brian michael bendis i read a couple of the first issues then i fell off the wagon then i came back and i was like what's going on okay bye bye and i didn't give it the uh the uh the chance it deserves um i know a lot of people are a bit sour on his superman stuff but uh one can't deny it's epic and uh, I'd like to check it out because mm. I did read a, a bunch of the Leviathan stuff, but I was it's like I'm catching up at all the time with this series. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, similarly, my pick is Conan and the additional tie ins. And I think it, it I suffer from the same problem that you were saying about Action Comics. It's like I feel like I have to be caught up on so much stuff. To read, to engage with this. And which is funny because Conan is not a dense or impenetrable story. It's a barbarian story about magic and women and dragons and snakes and shit. I don't know. You know, it's like the typical trappings of Viking or fantasy storytelling. But they At really... the same
0: time, Aaron is telling a very long yeah, story. I think that's- Very what... on the side. Because there's still-
1: yeah. I think that's the part that got me. It was like to yeah. engage with the overarching narrative that Aaron is telling, you really have to invest in it. There's like short yeah. stories at the back of every issue and stuff. And I like the one-shot nature of it. But there's also Savage Short of Conan, Belit, Um There's a couple other spinoffs coming. And if Conan were the only book I was picking up every week, I would know for a fact that I would absolutely love it. I know that these Mm -hmm. comics are good, but at the same time, when I read Conan, I'm like, I should really go back and read Kurt Busiek.
0: Mm, You know, like,
1: I I feel like it's such a storied character with so many good stories and artists and writers and movies and video games and stuff that, like, the idea of deep diving on one property like this is really, really daunting.
0: I had to review a Conan uh, Chronicles the latest they came out this week mm. um Pusics wasn't on it at this point it was uh, K- uh, Conan the Chimerian it was the end of that series and uh yeah there's <laughs> it, what's amazing is I think these these could still be canon because why yeah. not I mean I, I think mean, they
1: are that's the thing that gets me I yeah Yeah,
0: Marvel hasn't said they're not like right. they have with Star Wars
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, good pick. When will you get a chance to read it all Forrest?
1: Oh, I don't know my fifties
0: maybe hear me out quit go on disability or what is that called <laughs> welfare what is yeah. it no not welfare you know what I mean there you go six months boom I don't want to abuse the system <laughs> I just I just freed up your schedule at our next category best comic for young readers uh, I picked Dear Justice League uh, DC's coming out with a lot of good young reader and middle-aged reader uh, books I reviewed a lot of them actually last year but Dear Justice League it's very episodic but also telling an overarching story as each justice league member tries to uh, respond to all their fan letters from the kiddos and it's cute. It's fun. The art is amazing. Uh, check it
1: out. Uh, my pick is Harley Quinn breaking glass, another DC young readers book or younger yeah. readers, at least uh, this is written by uh, Mariko Tamaki um, and I uh, Steve Pugh. Is that right? On yep. The art? yep. Yep. Uh, Dave interviewed them a couple months ago. And this is a really neat theatrical retelling of Harley Quinn's life. It's um, Sometimes Harley Quinn is like weird and toxic and borderline inappropriate for young women or for young readers. Uh, But this book kind of leans into that and says, you know, she's really someone that needs a good home and a good family, whether it be found family or not. Um, And it really conveys that message really well. I like all the remixes they did to the characters. I like that the Joker is like a straight up villain as he should be, even through the eyes of Harley. Um, It's good. It's very, very cool. Got some like awesome found home for queer kids, drag queens running the show message. I don't know how to convey that, but I (laughs) think people in the LGBTQ community are, at least for myself feel comfortable and feel at home when a writer's imparting that sense of like we had a shared experience growing up. Um, especially for younger readers. I think that's very important. Um, and I, I, it's good. It's neat. It's a, it's also a finite story. So you can pick that up yes, and enjoy it. Along. And I love the way that those are structured in that sense. This could very easily also be the Catwoman. Um, mm-hmm. younger readers one that they put out or Raven or Mera my little sister loved Mera so really? um, yeah mm-hmm. all that stuff is is really really good
0: I love the drag queen club in yeah. Harley Quinn yeah. I, when I interviewed Mariko I was like are we going to get a spin off she's like nah probably <laughs> not <laughs>
1: but I love that that place exists in the DC universe you know what I mean Yeah, like it feels mm-hmm. natural but also important to that story
0: for sure all right guys we're almost at the end here we only have uh five more categories it's the top five right before midnight when the show ends and everyone wants the guy to stop doing monologues <laughs> like he is right now in our next category best manga best manga but those aren't comics yes they are shut up you're wrong i'm so mean why am i yeah, so mean? That was I need, aggressive i need to give me a cracker read man. a manga. Give me a cracker. Read a manga, get
1: happy. Know. What is your pick? Uh, my pick is Gautanabe's Tanabe's um, adaptation of H.P. Lovecraft's At the Mountains of Madness. Um, I feel like most people that, within the sound of my voice, within the reach of my voice, are familiar with H.P. Lovecraft, with his trappings, or with At the Mountains of Madness in particular. It is a slow burn cosmic horror story where the real people, where the real monsters are people. Um, but to see it kind of kaleidoscoped into a manga in the same way that Junji Ito um, translated like Frankenstein and uh, no longer human and that kind of stuff. It's, it's very, very interesting to see these classic Western canonized stories that are also totally racist and totally xenophobic and totally suck um, adapted through the eyes of another culture and another artistic style and stuff um, it's a very, very good, interesting manga. Um, I think our uh, our previous manga editor for com also did an interview with the translator of this. Um, the first volume is out now available. I think the second volume comes out like next month. Um, and that was a very interesting interview. And I, I, I like everything about this quite a bit.
0: Nice. Yeah, Dark Horse Comics. Mm-hmm. They put out a couple manga a year. Well, maybe once a month they put out a manga.
1: Yep, yep. I like that they have that little niche and they have good taste in them. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Uh, My pick was um,
0: Way of the House Husband, but then I changed it because then Vinland Saga Volume 11 came out, (laughs) (laughs) which is a series I've been reviewing since 2013. I'm old. No. But anyway. um, Happens to the best of us. Kodansha Comics is putting out basically one of these a year. At one point, they were putting out two a year, but I think they've caught up with the... um, the original uh, production of the of the manga. This is a series about a Viking. Uh, it's historical fiction, and it's a Viking who, in the first two or three books, which are basically um, four manga slapped together, so each volume is like four manga, traditional manga sized. Um, he's this badass killer, really good at killing, uh, but his father taught him to not kill, to not fight, and fighting is wrong. And through this journey he realizes he needs to get to Vinland and start a new culture where there is no war, only peace. Mm. And in the last couple of volumes, he's refused to fight. And there was actually a weird transitional area where I think the creators were like, "He can't fight. So what do we do?
1: <laughs> and it was
0: kind of slow. He was like yeah, a slave. And
1: that's kind of happening in wonder woman right now.
0: But in this next volume, he's fighting, but not killing um, because he's forced to. Mm. And, This volume in particular is just really good done in one adventure. Uh, There's an attack on a fort. There are multiple characters breaking into the fort, secret like ways to get in and then getting attacked from all sides. Um, There are some very poignant moments of characters dying and particular Viking characters who were told, if I die in battle, I go to heaven. And there's a scene where one guy is lying there and it's getting darker. It's getting darker. And we're inside his head reading the captions And he's like, wait, where are where's the beer? Where are the women? Oh, my God, it was a lie. It was a lie. And that's how it yeah. And this is the first time this book has gone away from the main character to, to, to push this message of peace. And it was deeply affecting. And uh, I loved this volume. And I, 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 I don't know wh- how much longer it'll be because it just keeps coming out. But I hope it never ends. But if it does end, maybe they'll make it to. I think Vinland is America, mm. is my guess. And they're going to go there and try to make peace. But if you know anything about history, we're far from peace. Anyway, in our-
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, Well, hold on one second. Yeah, uh, A quick shout out to Way of the House Husband, though. Uh, yeah, I, I gave that. That is awesome. Yeah. It's very good.
0: I actually got a uh, volume two already and I reviewed it already. It's not out yet, but uh, it's just so fun <laughs> to see this ex Yakuza uh, yeah. doing household chores. Yeah. <laughs> have you, it, have you read
1: it? I have read it. Yeah. Um, there's a scene that made me laugh out loud where he's teaching his kid math and he's like, all right, the Yakuza boss has six guys under him. If you kill three of those guys, how many are left? Uh, yeah, I yeah, just yeah. fucking laugh out loud funny. Um, yeah.
0: Is there an anime for that?
1: There's going to be. Yeah. And there's also yeah, going to be I an figured. anime of um,
0: hm
1: My pick. So get into in! it.
0: It's kind of interesting. In America, if there's a manga, it's probably going to be or already yeah. is an anime. Yeah. I mean, the, I think... most
1: of the manga that we talk yeah. about are because they've become OVAs or anime or something else, right? Uh,
0: I'm going to guess that the publishers are like, we're not, there's no point in translating because we don't have that in with uh, the shows.
1: Yeah. Also a quick shout out to our friend, uh, (laughs) friends of the podcast, uh, Trevor and Alex Richardson, who do a podcast called queering the guillotine uh, weekly, Mm -hmm. where they uh, read manga, particularly like Naruto and stuff um, through the lens of uh, being queer and having a queer experience. Um, I like that podcast a lot. And it, I asked them, Hey, was there any really good manga this year that I might have missed?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did they give you anything?
1: They gave me. Uh, well, I asked them specifically if "Way of the House Husband" was good, and they both said it was, um, and that's why I read it. And then uh, they also gave me some lists that I'm still working on.
0: Yeah, I've got a stack of manga right here. I'm supposed to read and review, and it's giving me palpitations. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Palpatine. In our next stack.
0: <laughs> oh my god! Again? No. Oh, sorry, spoilers. <laughs> if you haven't seen Star Wars. <laughs> In our next category, best genre comic. For us, this is is kind of a weird
1: catch all. Sorry I put this in there to artists and writers working in horror (laughs) comics and stuff. Um, Yeah, there's, yeah. Mm -hmm. But we talk so much about superhero comics, and I wanted to give a dedicated space to a different kind of comic. my pick's wrong. Um, (laughs) uh, Yours works, I think, because it is so that thing. But um, mine is Gideon Falls. Uh, written by Jeff Lemire with art by Andrea Sorrentino. This is just a lovecraft ass, ass <laughs> lovecraft ass. Uh, this is a very Lovecraftian, Lynchian horror story about hereditary guilt and curses and the secrets of small towns and also the secrets of the universe and how those two things meet up. Oh, that's all? And it kicks ass. And that is all.
0: <sighs> nice. And it's still going.
1: And it's spooky.
0: It is scary. And it's also doing um, really pick...
1: interesting things with the format. Like, there's mm. pages where oh, visually, yeah. all, mm. all of a sudden uh, characters are running on the literal panels and stuff. Um, and that's yes. really, really pushing the boundaries of like horror comics as well. I like it.
0: My um, pick is Powers of X, which is superheroes. But if you read just the weird stuff, yeah. <laughs> the weird science yeah. fiction-y stuff... Uh, there's a lot to wrap your head around uh, Jonathan Hickman has some big ideas uh, and in this series in particular if you don't know it it jumps ahead by powers of 10 so 100 years 100 years from the uh, from now a thousand years from now does it go a million years from now
1: uh am I, getting that wrong? I think it caps out at a hundred thousand
0: okay well we see there's these crazy ideas of these like Basically, they're like aliens, but they're like sharing a mind, and they consume like galaxies or Earths or planet—I don't know—and uh, just like this idea of a of a of a of a threat to life itself mm-hmm. because we will no longer be ourselves um, because we'll be consumed by this mass. Yeah, it's just—it's very it's just... existential. And I I feel like the data pages in particular were very important in getting this kind of idea across, which is why I picked this. Um, You don't see, and by data pages, if you don't know, they are pages of prose or lists or other source uh, forms of writing
1: posters, yeah,
0: (laughs) which don't have art, but it's a way to communicate to us ideas that I don't think comic art can convey as efficiently or quickly. Yeah. And especially with these huge ideas to wrap your head around and also Hickman's ability to tell us a little slice of something and then later another slice. And as you're reading, you piece it all together and you sort of start to make sense of it. I'm still kind of confused by it all. but I mean, yes, I think
1: that's also why you can put it in genre comic, because it is a very heady, weird, uncompromising sci-fi comic about evolution and humanity and. i I fucking i don't know what happened in powers of 10 (laughs) wolverine uh wait
0: he was at the end i think no yeah (laughs) he was in an eden right
1: yeah yeah and it's also like eden and angels and cybernetics and cloning and memory wipes on usb and all sorts of crazy shit it's fucking awesome it's
0: basically like take uh the Perfect advancement of technology and organics, and see what happens. Yep. And is it horror or is it? Yeah. You know, it's all and that's, hell, and and hard. that's hard sci-fi. Yeah, 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 very much. All right, three more categories. In our next category, best miniseries—that is, one to six issues, folks. My pick is Spider-Man: The Life Story yeah. by Chip Zdarsky and Mark Bagley. Uh, this is my pick because I could not believe the gaps between issues. <laughs> The audacity of this man to not tell us one single story from beginning to end, to jump ahead every issue in Spider-Man's life and show us what's going on. Um, Basically, if you take all of the great Spider-Man stories and put them in a blender, uh, the Chip Zdarsky blender, and chop it up and then make a drink and then drink that drink you're drinking this story it's mm. it's like a really interesting blend of all these stories it's like a new take Elseworlds style take but doing it all in a different way but still hammering all home all the the same yeah. great points
1: yeah of the same plot beats as well as emotional beats which is really hard to and marry it, yeah
0: Mark Bagley is the yeah. art, first artist I ever saw when I went to the comic rack and so it it was an emotional connection or nostalgic connection to the series as well for me.
1: Yeah. I thought it was really, really great. I thought it faltered maybe in the last two issues just because there were so many different ideas happening, but I also kind of was like, I mean, this is Spider-Man. You can't divorce (laughs) Spider-Man from this crazy shit. Right. Yep. Yep. Um, My pick is similar. It's a Batman universe, um, which I think there have been different writers and different artists across us it's just a really fun campy send up of the entirety of batman specifically like 60s batman um there's a really awesome one of my favorite two-page spreads of the year this maybe could have one single panel where uh batman and nightwing are fighting their way down a submarine and it shows like mm. them fighting through the different levels um, and you've seen that shot done a thousand times but the way it's done In this comic at this moment when other Batman comics are coming out that are nothing like this uh, was Mm -hmm. really refreshing and neat. And I I just like the funniness um, of that comic and the the also seriousness of it or whatever. They totally get Batman, but they're also having fun almost at the Batman universe's expense. Um, Yeah. And that works for me really, really well.
0: Nice. Nice. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's got the best art. I, I feel like this is the ultimate universe for DC Comics.
1: Yeah, all right, I could rock. I could <laughs> lean with that and rock with that.
0: In our second to last category, best maxi series that are that is a series that runs uh, from one to twelve issues typically. Uh, what is your pick for best
1: maxi series? Uh, my pick for best maxi series, and this is cheating because it's going to show up in the next category as well.
2: Oh, is no! Uh,
1: Cy Spurrier and Matthias Bergara's Coda. I have talked at length about this comic on this podcast, as well as in written format, as well as to my friends and my wife. Um, it is a. Do you write in writing to your wife as well? Yeah, I pass <laughs> notes under the door. I go to her workplace and say, Have you read Coda? God damn it, for the last time. <laughs> um, I'm in a meeting. Um, yeah, but it's really, really good. It's a very compassionate. Um, sad earnest I'm using a lot of the same adjectives to describe the stuff I'm finding out I maybe have a type during this episode recording right now um but there's like it's very sad and earnest and the central plot is this man hum trying to be a good person for his wife in particular but also how his love for another person catalyzes a want of goodness for the entire world um It's a story about how love transforms us both for the better and the worst and how the world reacts to our actions. And also there is a giant skeleton dragon that keeps asking people to scratch his ass. Um, (laughs) And the way that the like very nuanced, in-depth ideas on humanity and romance and being a hero and stuff just come up right against that and an elf with his head cut off asking people to kill him and mermaid babies and all these kind of crazy, fantastical world building, uh, pitch perfect execution of the comic, the specific story it wanted to tell. Matthias Bergara should have won the Eisner. Um, and also Whoa, another Mike opinion Trump. I have is that uh, Tony Shalhoub is underrated. So just throw that all in there.
0: Nice. Uh, my best maxi series is a series you may not have heard about. <laughs> Because you've heard about it constantly at AIPTcomics.com. Peter Cannon Thunderbolt is my uh, favorite Maxi series. This is a a book that actually we picked on the last week's show uh, as best. What was it? Ongoing? No, not ongoing. Best series. I don't know. Something. It was out there. (laughs) Uh, But uh, (laughs) we all agreed. uh, (laughs) And then uh, I think it was also on our um, staff favorites of
1: 2019. Yes, it is performed very well critically.
0: Ritesh Babu has written multiple times about this series and why it's so important. It connects to Watchmen in a sense. Um, it's a series written by Kieran Gillen and art by Casper Um It opens on the world ending, and a hero, the greatest hero of them all, has to figure it out. And he does to a point. It, the book is outstanding if you're a comic book reader, yes. especially a long time I comic think that's an reader. important caveat. Right. If you're new to comics, you will not get a lot of the references, the visual references, as well as the um, the written re- references, the character uh, tropes going on. Um, it's it's quite an amazing work because they pulled it off so well. This is something that could horribly fall apart with the wrong
1: artist, or the yeah. wrong writer. Yeah. I mean, I Just thought it horribly. was going in a bad direction across the first two issues. And then I was like, oh, no, wait, they actually know what they're doing.
0: Um, yeah it could have
1: gone really really poorly i totally agree with that
0: i would love to talk to like an executive at image comics like robert kirkman and be like so i just want to know did 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 gillen pitch peter cannon to you because if he did are you punching yourself yeah yeah (laughs) no no disrespect to dynamite it's just they don't necessarily have maxi series that are this profound really no publishers do Mm -hmm. and that's why it's my pick
1: Yeah, it's a fantastic choice. It did win our best series debut. There you go. um, Last week uh, in our year in review podcast episode. And I made a very impassioned defense for it that I'm not going to repeat here.
0: Yes, go listen to that to get his take, his real take.
1: Yep. (laughs) All right, right. this is it. Last category. This is it. Been thinking about this for
0: weeks, months even. I've been thinking about it since January 1st, 2019. Yeah. (laughs) um this is actually a cheat in a sense because it's actually three things our top three favorite comics ranked that's right there's winners (laughs) there are losers second place is the number one loser just so you know
1: (laughs) i don't feel that way about my picks but if that's yours go off i guess
0: well you know i want to get angry all right
1: whatever we had a really good (laughs) interview earlier we talked about the news but get go off get mad about stuff you like
0: you're right. This is a good show. I like it. I hope you like it. If you do, <laughs> rate us, review us, tell your friends. <laughs> We're like Chris Jericho. He's fucking working.
1: Do tell you want to go? Like. No, I want you to
0: three, go. Three, three, two, two, one, sure. one.
1: Sure. Yeah, let's do it.
0: Or we could do all three at once. Do your
1: top three. Do your top three. <clears throat> all
0: right. My top three House of X is number three. Uh, Justice League is number two from Scott Snyder. And number one is The Dreaming by Cy Spurrier. And Bilquis Eveli. Uh, I'm not going to go crazy into depth because we've talked about a bunch of these things already. But House of X is number three is uh, sorry, House, House of X is number three for me because of the amazing writing of Moira Moira X and her retcon of her retcon powers and how she kind of weaves into um, X Men, but also the Marvel universe at large. This is one of the most exciting times to be an X Men reader and it's largely because of house of x i know it, it works perfectly after you read powers of 10 too but i think it's an astounding series on its own it doesn't have all the crazy super future stuff that i talked about earlier that i liked <laughs> but in a sense it makes it more discernible understandable and more character based justice league is my second pick because it's just crazy stupid fun i've been trying not to say the word stupid when i describe it mm. in our previous shows yeah because it's, I don't want I you mean, to think it's, it's negative. It's got
1: some straight up Transformer ass, yeah, Power right. Rangers ass shit.
0: I, I mean, I read a lot of comics, and there's a lot of there's a lot of depressing stories which are needed and necessary and good. Some of us
1: like but, those.
0: But to pick up Justice League and just have some crazy fun where Superman's punching, there's a very emotional moment for Superman in this run. Uh, Jorge Jimenez has just been astounding on it. The artists on this, they're definitely like the best artists at DC Comics. Uh, So to me, Justice League was like the primo DC superhero comic uh, of the year. And then The Dreaming is my number one because I'm a sucker for stories about storytelling. I'm a sucker for stories about myth. Um, Cy Spurrier has been telling... I can't believe he pulled it off, honestly. He's telling the story about the characters in The Dreaming World without Sandman. And he's pulled it off. (laughs) And I I kept wondering while reading it, when is Sandman going to show up? But he doesn't need to be. Uh, He's slowly unveiled this character, Dora, and her hardships and her confusion and her anger and made it come alive on the page. And Evely has masterfully told the story all the way through, too. There's been some amazing turns in the story in the last two issues that are kind of informing what we know and what we don't know. Um, And a major character, I'm going to spoil it, a major character, Death, is coming back next issue and that's an exciting thing to start off 2020 with in this series because, I mean, that's a, such an iconic and beloved character. Uh, I suspect we will see this character at conventions, co- people cosplaying as this character <laughs> yeah. at conventions very no soon.
1: Way. Yeah, no way that doesn't happen.
0: So what is your top three, for us? My
1: top three. Number three is Silver Surfer Black, written by Donny Cates with art by Trad Moore. Number two is Coda written by Cy Spurrier with art by should have been Eisner award winner Matthias Bergara. <laughs> and number one is Martian Manhunt written by Steve Orlando with art by Riley Rossmo. Um, all these books are incredibly different. Um, but also incredibly good at the very specific type of story they're trying to tell and at their very specific stylized nature. Um, I'm attracted to things that execute a vision or a voice this well, and I think that they all do. Uh, Silver Surfer Black has this really awesome, compassionate, but also totally, I'll use the word stupid too, um, (laughs) superhero thing going on. like You know the plot beats. But the execution is so there. It's such a neat looking book with a, a great plot line. Um, at the end of the first issue, um, Silver Surfer accidentally like opens a vault and Noel, the big bad guy of Don the Donnie Cates verse, is there. <laughs> and and just the, the idea uh, trickled into my head like Tradmore and Donnie Cates are going to kill Silver Surfer. They didn't title it this but this is a book about the death of Silver Surfer. Um, And to an extent it is. It's about the death of the man that Silver Surfer was before Silver Surfer Black, and then uh, a kind of gross, scary rebirth. Um, But it's all done through this really, really awesome Kirby-esque love letter um, to also the way Stan Lee wrote and loved Silver Surfer. Uh, My second pick I was just talking about is Coda, um, written by Sy Spurrier and Matthias Bergara. I refuse to try and contain how emotional um, this story made me, how much it impacted me, both in visuals and in narrative. It's a perfect marriage of um, the artist and the writer working together. The lettering is awesome. The Mad Max on Mushroom's ass world building is awesome. And then um, the very final issue, and I, I think I've talked about it before, but I'll spoil it again, um, there is a storybook ending. It literally goes like full sepia where the world is ending and such and such character did this and such and such character did that. But then the real final page immediately following that, almost an epilogue, is Hum saying, the main character saying to his wife, well, I gave them the ending they wanted. Let's go. And that kind of dedication to the fact that like, this is a story about storytelling and about relationships and those things continue on in your own life and inside Spurrier and Matthias Bergara's lives and all, and all these, these characters lives and everything. um, It just felt so big and smart and also warm and endearing. Uh, I loved it a lot. And then my number one pick is Martian Manhunter. I really, really hope Steve Orlando and Riley Rossmo have already started drafting their next take on a character like this. I did not fucking care about Zon Zons, (laughs) whatever the fuck his name is. I knew who he was, but I did not care about him before this book. This book has completely flipped how I feel about the character. The art is so amazingly pulpy and stylized and weird and dramatic. They hit the perfect scary notes. This villain that I've never heard of is really scary. The book is incredible about its uh, desire to convey alienation, both literally and um, in metaphor in the fact that he's literally an alien trying to assimilate to North American culture and superhero culture and detective culture and all that stuff, but that also it's about being lonely and scared and not being sure if you can, he's a shapeshifter by nature, not being sure if you can show your true self to the world, especially when that true self has been tarnished by negative things, bad things that he has done in his life. Um, There's like an entire issue of this book that's about coming out, um, but it's told through the scope of, like, a Martian, a weird-ass, a Martian shape-shifting ritual. Um, it's just the perfect, perfect thing. They've thought about every detail. All the messages that they're trying to get across are clear. But also um, through this amazing level of, like, superhero sci-fi artifice. Nice and that's picks. my take. Love it.
0: So read all six of those issues because they're all different. We didn't agree yeah, on anything. Did, we, yeah 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 <laughs> so that's it for the show uh this was our best of we'll be doing this again next year i suspect if you like the show please like subscribe and review us uh, share and uh yeah we'll see you next week
1: yeah thanks y'all